Welcome to Artifications. This here is a series of documentaries and podcasts designed to make the international art world more accessible. My name is Roland Ramos. My background in film was deliberately derailed when I was swayed by the sweet siren songs of arts administration. Twenty years later, I burst forth from that chrysalis, ready to helm this project right here. So welcome to Artifications.us, where you can check out our bank of docs, podcasts, and our hyper-localized artist resource pages. Each one of them coincides with one of our destination cities. So, if you love to travel, we do the heavy lifting for you on finding the best a city has to offer by way of culture. But if you're an artist, we ask the questions you all might want to ask, especially if you're considering putting on a show there or being part of one. Artists are dreamers, and here at Artifications, we encourage you to dream big. Today, we're still traipsing around the Lower East Side. Uh, it is now 2021 in the time of COVID, but the arts never cease, especially in New York. While a lot of people end up believing for the suburbs, it's quite clear that they've only made room for more artists to come and descend upon the city and once again revitalize it. New York has routinely just been a stalwart for the arts in terms of uh, carving out spaces for it to exist. And with that, I wanted to talk about our special guest today. We have one interview, and that's with Brandon Weiscarver, damn good guy, damn good friend, and a wonderful resource. Uh, I must say the first time I met him, <laughs> I don't know if he even remembers, I was putting together an artist studio space in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I was looking for a couple of recommendations or patterns to follow, so to speak, pilot projects. I found two that I really loved. Number one was the Torpedo Factory in, uh, in just south from here, and the other one that I had found was this place called the... Uh, Con Artist Collective in the Lower East Side. Now, I found that they had everything that they could possibly offer to artists, from education to empowerment, to even exhibiting, to rapping, to shipping. There was so much that they offered. So I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'd like to offer my arts community. So I made no bones about it. I called up and whoever picked the phone, it just happened to be branded. I immediately started asking questions. And what do you know? He was just as friendly then as he is today. And with that, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to the interview. Your role in the Con Artist Collective was one of administration. Mm -hmm. And that means that you had your hand in a lot of different bowls, so to speak. What was your role in the community there? Yeah, well, technically my role there was general manager. So I really had my fingers in absolutely everything we did because when I started there, it was obviously it was founded by Brian Shevlin in 2010 in the Lower East Side at 119 Ludlow Street where we stayed until we left uh, with a short, brief a moment on, uh, on Suffolk Street. But when I started there, I you know was a painter. I was an artist myself, and I was looking for a studio space, a community, looking for all the things that uh, all the people who are coming to us now at Solus are looking for, all the people who came to Con Artists were looking for too. Uh, and I found it in the way of an internship initially. 
So I was there a con artist for about, I would say three to four months. Uh, I remember my interview with Brian very well because he was talking about all the different things I could do and all the different positions there were, you know, for interns about like graphic design and uh, marketing, gallery work, et cetera. And I really just kind of looked around and saw what needed to be done. I <laughs> saw they were doing construction. So I said, hey, you know, why don't you let me play with power tools for four months as an intern? And he was like, really? Like, I don't want to pay, do unpaid labor for, for construction. And I was like, oh, I appreciate that, but I'm down. So let's do it. And that's what happened. I started, I helped them build out the top floor for about four months. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, I was offered, a, you know, a little job as like a janitorial kind of position, cleaning up after other artists in the studio from about five in the morning, three in the morning to like six in the morning. And then I would go to my, my coffee shop job and open up a cafe at six o'clock to 1 p.m. Then I would go back to the gallery around the corner and paint from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., 5 p.m. when I needed to pass out. So the Con Artist Collective was originally started in 2000. 10. And yep. your role, from what I understand, when you first started was that of an intern. And you later mm -hmm, became more or less in charge of uh, running a day-to-day -day operations. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you tell me, like, what did, what, if, what did your days look like? I mean, how many different hats did you have to wear and which one of them was your favorite? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, I would say, you know, I wore all the hats from day-to-day -day operations eventually when brian started to run lazy susan gallery a little more which was nearby but a smaller uh gallery and uh, out of all i mean i had to do everything i was i was at the front desk you know selling merch organizing with the members putting on shows generating programming for social events and for you know the gallery itself uh, and honestly, I think my favorite thing that I did there over the six years or so that I spent running that space was hanging the work, actually putting the work up on the wall, because we had a really interesting model where a lot of different artists would be in one show, you know, it was a community centered space. So you wouldn't have a lot of solo shows. You'd have a lot of very packed group shows, which led to kind of salon style hanging and figuring out how to cram up to 50 or a hundred pieces into a small gallery space and kind of playing Tetris with other people's work was my favorite part. And this would happen weekly, right? What day of the week would you, Every week. what day of the week would you normally have these shows? We'd have our openings on Wednesdays. So it was a weekly turnover in the effort to try and get more as many members. Cause I mean, remember at the time we had 600 plus artists registered with the Connors Collective, meaning we were accidentally creating New York City's largest art collective in history. And there we wanted to make sure as many people as possible could show their work. So we did these weekly group shows. It was a very short turnaround. And like, you know, ideally for selling art, obviously a week is not great. You want to have as much time as possible. But, you know, our whole point was to exposure and to get people uh, out there as much as possible. So every Wednesday night we would have an opening. So basically five years. you created accessibility for artists with your own space. Right. So, yep, that was the, that was the mission always. Well, uh, that accessibility that you created, how long would it take uh, somebody to join where they could participate in their first group show? 
Oh man, you know, it's really interesting. People are so unique and different and there's so many different kinds of artists. We had members who would sign up and never show up for anything. We had members who would uh, sign up at the lowest level and be there for everything. And I honestly love those people. <laughs> they were the best. And, uh, you know, we'd have people who, uh, it, it was very, it was interesting. Like we creating accessibility in that space really just meant, you know, giving somebody uh some direction, some storefront, some, something to do. You know, we had a theme for a show and we would ask people for work on that theme. And if they didn't like the theme, we would say, Hey, why don't you suggest another theme then? And really that high turnover rate was all about trying to get as many people's eyes on as many different artists as possible. Well, you're talking about the space that you created as a, as a group. Uh, mm -hmm. But I want to just take a, a little macro uh, to the role that the, that your organization played in the larger Lower East Side art scene. I understand that it was mm. quite thriving and, and still continues, but their, the Lower East Side would have their open studios on a weekly basis as well. Would your exhibitions coincide with those? Uh, and, and what would you say? Not really. And, and I would just want to tail onto that. Like, what do you feel that your role as the Con Artist Collective was in the Lower East Side community? Yeah, that's an interesting spot. You know, one of the things I loved most about it was that it was kind of there to be whatever the artists wanted it to be. And sometimes that meant that Con Artist was an incubator for new businesses like Mural, uh, who does a, a display canvas spelled like Mural. They started there. Or um, Reductress, the, you know, the popular blog. It's kind of like the female onion, like feminist-centered onion. They started uh, there at our offices initially. And it could also be a high-end gallery for somebody who had a big a client base and they wanted to rent it out. Uh, and it could be a community center. And ultimately, that's what it was. Ultimately, it was a place that had its doors open to artists and to art lovers uh, without any of the pretension and uh, kind of things that normally drive people away from stuff or, or keep people out. It was a, it was an all-in art experience, which is not a normal thing, as you know. Yeah, but the Lower East Side itself was a, a collection of, of smaller galleries. And, yeah. you know, the bar of entry into these places, you know, ran the gamut to pay-to-play or cooperative. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, taking a look at, at the, the larger Lower East Side, you know, the Con mm. Artist Collective was a small part of it, but yet yeah. it was effective in, in, in getting a lot of people involved. Uh, what kind of feedback did you have from your community? Great feedback. You know, we always had a really good reputation. That was one of the things I was really proud of. And and part of that came from kind of this, you know, mentality of keeping her, you know, letting the artists do their thing and not being so hands-on uh, in some ways. One thing about the larger community, I'll say, is that, you know, obviously Lower East Side, huge history in the arts you know with uh, all the all these historical artists coming from the 70s and you know the 80s and the scene there and obviously that was much different by the time we were there even in 2010 uh it wasn't the same lower east side with uh you know these huge artists coming out and but it was definitely a mentality that that kind of stuck with us uh, one of my favorite neighbors that i remember was uh, abc no rio uh, ABC No Rio was like founded in the early 90s from a bunch of punks squatting a building. They ended up buying it for a dollar off the city later and starting a three-story event space with the punk bands would play. They have screen printing in one floor, a dark room on the other. 
uh, and they had a very specific political ideology that went along with it. Uh, and I used to joke that like con artist was like kind of like ABC No Rio. It had the same mentality, you know, the same kind of community aspect to it. But you know, we didn't make you pick any political stances. <laughs> so I, I, I would joke that ABC it was ABC No Rio for yuppies. Uh, but we had people from all walks, and that was the beautiful thing about it. Really, was the the massive diversity in the space. Like you got some. Yeah. Now yeah. you've covered all the coasts, yep. and you found yourself a home in New York. Love New York. Now you spent a lot of time at the Lower East Side, and I'm I'm asking, Texas, Cali, New York, Lower East Side, all that history of the Tenement Museum, and you know, um, the yeah. waves of immigrants that came through the area. How did you? Uh, did you see that rub off on uh, any of your community members there? Oh, kind of the immig- the immigration, you know, thing is is interesting because Lower East Side at the at the time, even in 2010, I mean, I watched it go from, you know, the hip place to be to Serafina and Louis Vuitton across the street. So the Lower East Side itself was obviously changing and always is changing. Um, I feel like. It was kind. Con artist always felt to me like the last one of the last bastions of that sort of what we think of the Lower East Side as being. Uh, it's not that anymore, and it wasn't honestly that anymore even in 2012 or 13. But even from then, it's changed so much uh, that it's kind of interesting to think about. You know, it was one of those last holdouts. Like now, the neighborhood's unrecognizable. You know, I remember when I first moved to New York, people told me where, where I go. Where do you go to? do cool stuff. They said Ludlow Street between Delancey and Houston. I don't know if it would get that same recommendation now. That sounds like a no, by any means, by any means necessary ethos. And <laughs> I think that that's what I saw at con artists that I love. That's what I loved at, you know, at the galleries on those weekly gallery strolls through the Lower East Side. You go to galleries and they, you go to a storefront and then basically they would show art wherever they could. Like in the basement, mm-hmm. you have to duck under a thing to get in. Sometimes this exhibition space would be kind of low. You know, I, I just I, I love that. And um this this is actually reflected directly in the history of the area because of the fact that waves of immigrants came and these structures were built up seven stories tall uh, to accommodate you know single family boats that like they literally just overflowed with people. There's this continuation of the legacy in the Lower East Side, in the in the art scene I see that distinguishes it from you know the the, the Brooklyn outposts and the Chelsea you know or the the you know the farther 50s you know it, it mm. has its own legacy built on the that history you know and, and it's in the building yeah. now what happened with the uh con artist collective and uh can you just tell us you know where uh where you ended up yeah for sure as a helpful uh, so, and, person you know, that you are <laughs> what's that as a helpful person that you are i'm sure you're still helping people right now that's the goal, right? right? That's the idea. Um, so, yeah, with Connors Collective officially ceased to exist in uh, late 2019, uh, about around the time of 2020, uh, I helped get um, a new owner involved when we were having some financial troubles. And, you know, it didn't work out exactly as I thought it would. Uh, the new owner took it in another direction and, uh, you know, rebranded and we, we parted ways of, over several things uh 
Uh, and but you know, it's one of those things. Like you can't kill community. So the people who I met at Conardis are still very much involved in my life. And one of the people who I'm working with right now uh, is Solus Studios, started by a photographer named Liam Cotter in around 2013. He's an NYU photographer, and he runs a, a small studio here in the Flatiron. And we're just continuing to do sort of there what we were doing there. We've got a lot of old con artist members with us here at Solus. And it's been uh, it's been interesting. Like, I'm grateful for, you know, being here and being able to continue to do that work because uh, I really love I love hearing that. <laughs> I love so, hearing people say, oh, you really helped me out a lot. So what's uh, what's the saying? You know, because uh, I remember uh, there was a good energy around uh, con artist. That uh, yeah. I know that I if, you're gonna, the same. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be bringing to Solus, you know, the Weiss Carverness of it all, that means that it's going to be pretty dynamic. And can you just oh, like. That's, uh, that's trademarked, man. You owe me some royalties now. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is what does that look like now? I mean, we're in a pandemic. You wanted to yeah. you're starting a, a, a legacy program where you're, you know, you're in it to help community. Right. I think uh, one of the coolest things about this one is uh, the way the finances worked out, break down, right? The whole ethos behind Connors back in the day was that uh, it was $5 a month to join as a member because that was like a ridiculously low amount to charge an artist for uh, for what we did, which was classes, workshops, opportunities to show regularly and not pay to play because it wasn't like if it was pay to play, it would have been like $300 to be in one show, uh, which is what you see all over the city. But the idea was that it was five bucks a month to be on a platform with other artists who would connect and, and use and do shows. And that's one of the cool things about Solus here is that the, the platform for the membership dues are basically like you, you apply if you if we think your work is good enough for us to present professionally and say this is good work you should buy it uh then you get to set your own dues you whatever you want to pay into it uh is up to you uh and that monthly amount is actually accrued on a on account for you so basically we're centering we're taking kind of the same community aspects of con artists but we're centering it around practical services that artists need like printing uh exhibitions um you, you name it like uh, anything really we'll even outsource stuff for a small fee like if you want to do a run of t-shirts and you don't want to deal with it you know you can just use the dues you've been paying in to like go hey here's a t-shirt design go make that for us and we go okay here's the box come pick it up so really the idea there was the the idea of, of putting money into the community to keep it uh, around and keep it operating but letting artists like you know because artists inf incomes are they're in fluctuating all the time sometimes people are you know they're flush sometimes they're really hard up so we wanted to do this uh, in a way where it's kind of helping artists save for their practice uh and you know better budget their practice Ooh, and making good. it you know equally flexible not, we're not locking them to anything they can leave and come as they go as they please uh and so it's it's kind of a lot of the same ethos a lot of the same activity but you can actually use that money you're putting in instead of just keeping us afloat. <laughs> what are some of the difficulties of doing this during a pandemic? Oh, you know, obviously uh, money's tight for everybody. And, you know, running a business that's centered around um, helping artists save money sounds like a good thing during the pandemic, but everybody's, everyone's really tied up. So I think the hardest thing is definitely figuring out how to get that same energy of an opening, you know, to people in their living rooms over the internet because that's that's the hardest thing of all and ev that's what everybody's saying they want to get back to showing yeah now you have artist studio space well uh, what can you accommodate 
so we actually have a photography studio okay so we don't accommodate the creation of like messy work or painting but we show it so basically we have a mixed use studio that's a you know professional lights cameras backdrops and can be cleared out for a reception so we'll have like monthly shows that are by appointment only and that's helpful with covid going on uh people come in check it out uh and we keep the work up in the shooting studio and that's the idea. Do you think expanding on the program of messy arts would help, is in the future? Definitely think that's in the future. You know, I, I think that that's probably if we look for a new location, that's one of the things we'll be looking for for sure. Because people need a place to throw paint around and get messy, and you know that's always going to be especially you, yeah, and especially us. Brandon Weiss Carver, art helper extraordinaire. I want to thank you so much for like spending some time here on the uh, audio device with me. This is a, a pleasure and a privilege. And uh, I, what are you doing now? What, what are you working on? Uh, right now I'm working with Sola Studio in Flatiron at 1117 East 24th Street in Park. Uh, we're a small photo shooting studio fine art printers and exhibition space. We're holding regular quarterly exhibitions for our members uh, and doing some pretty interesting stuff with a membership program. So check that out. It's at the HTTPS solace.studio. You can see what we're up to uh, and you can join us, uh, by the way, uh, for the entire month of January uh, for by donation online life drawing. So if you're missing getting out there and doing some figure drawing, come through, throw us a buck and join us online. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Well, Thank you so much for joining us on that brief interview with Brandon Weiss Carver, currently of Solace.studio online. Now, it looks like a great website. They have a lot to offer. And knowing Brandon, it's going to be pretty dynamic. So if you're interested in getting back to it and starting to put your art up and even look at this, uh, the whole VR aspect of exhibitions, they're right in the thick of it over there. I highly recommend you check it out. I'd love to hear your feedback on that. And you can always find me, Roland Ramos, at artifications.us. Now, our goal here is to make the art world just a bit more accessible. So I'd love to hear some feedback. Join me online. We're right here. And uh, share, like, comment, all you like. Hope to see you soon. Take care, guys. Keep creating. Keep creating.